Now we give a very warm welcome to everyone to public worship today, both to the, those in the building here and to those who are joining with us online. And can I take this opportunity of wishing everybody a, a good new year. It's good to see you all today. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm 139. It's page 432 of the Psalter, and it's at the beginning of the song. O Lord, thou hast me searched unknown. Thou knowest my sitting down and rising up. Yea, all my thoughts afar to thee are known. My footsteps and my lying down thou compassest always. Thou also most entirely art acquaint with all my ways. We'll sing verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast me searched and known. join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we bow before you at the beginning of this new year. We are conscious that when we set out on the last year, there were those who were with us, who are gone from the scene of time. And we would pray this day for those who feel the parting of the ways very sorely because this is a time of year when families come together and this is a time of year when the empty space is marked. O Lord our God, you are reminding us again and again and again that we are on a journey and for all of us it will come to an end. And perhaps, for some, it will come to an end much sooner than we have ever imagined. But we have sung that song of praise. It reminds us that nothing is unknown to you. You know it all. We don't. 
We cannot understand how it is that you know before we even utter words what they are going to be. There is great mystery there. But it's not all mystery as far as our relationship with you is concerned. Because we know you are there. And we know you have blessed us in so, so many ways. And we know that our response to your kindness and watching over us has been unbelievably irresponsible and wretched so often. But you are the God who became a human being. You are the God of the manger of Bethlehem. And that is why we are here today. We come as sinners the only way we can come. But it's for sinners that Christ came into this world. May we never ever forget that. We, when we ponder you, so often want to melt away. We just want to hide from you because you are who you are. And we sadly are who we are. But may we never ever take our eye off what you have revealed to us in the pages of Scripture and what you have revealed to us by the person Jesus of Nazareth being in this world, dying on the third day, rising again, and 40 days thereafter, returning to heaven. Help us to remember in the midst of the chaos of this world and it is chaotic. It is so chaotic. Where we have some of the most influential and powerful people in the world who can't even tell what a woman is or indeed a man. We are so broken. But we pray that we would turn to the touchstone of your revelation to keep us on the right track. We pray for those who are in positions of power and influence who do uphold your ways and your name but who get a hard time for it that you would sustain them and help them. We pray that you would revive us, revive the church because the church itself is so feeble at times and sets such a bad example. All we can say is have mercy upon us and help us. Because a revived church will have an influence upon a nation. And we pray that for our nation. And for the many nations of the world. In particular for the nations that are torn apart by war and atrocity at a time like this. For those who are in positions of great power and wealth and influence. Who have set their hearts against you. We pray that they would be brought to naught. And we pray that the name of Christ would indeed be uplifted. We thank you afresh this day for the sound of little voices in our midst. They are a blessing. We pray that we would fulfill our responsibilities towards them. Remember us as a congregation. Whether we are here in person or joining online. We pray for our family circles. Wherever they might be found. We pray that we would all be this very day safe in Christ. Because in Christ we are safe for time and for eternity. So come in with us we pray and do us good. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue in the same song. Psalm 139, page 432 of the Psalter at verse 7. From thy spirit whither shall I go or from thy presence fly? Ascend I heaven, lo thou art there, there, if in hell I lie. Take I the morning wings and dwell in utmost parts of sea. Even there, Lord, shall thy hand me lead, thy right hand hold shall me. Verses 7 8 to 12 of Psalm 139. From thy spirit whither shall I go? From thy spirit where shall I go? 
young ones among us and I'm going to speak to the younger people for a moment or two just now in a few days time I will have to go off down uh, to Edinburgh for what is called in-service training the powers that be are going to try and knock me into shape in some kind of way or another it's a reminder to us that it doesn't matter how young or old we are we have to continue to learn things. And indeed, the whole of life is a learning uh, process. If we think that we've got to the stage where we know it all, we're making a major, a major mistake. But in order to get down to uh, Edinburgh, I have to go on a journey. And I want to ask a question. What do you think a journey is? <coughs> Well, a journey is, as far as I'm aware, when you leave one place, you spend some time travelling, and you arrive in another place. Now, there are various ways I could get to Edinburgh. I could fly down to Edinburgh, or I could go on a train, or on a bus, or, or by road, or by car. There's, there's lots of different ways. But if I was going to be travelling by bus or by car, I, when I would leave Inverness, there's a sign up there on the road that's called the A9, and I think it says that it's 111 miles to get to Perth. But if I was to fly on a plane, I would only travel 80 miles. You have to add on another 31 miles if you go by road. I guess that's because the plane just goes in a straight line and the road goes here, there and everywhere for these 111 uh, miles. But you leave one place and you travel for a time and then you arrive at uh, another place. That simply is what a journey is. I will leave Inverness, I will spend a time on the road, and then I will get, hopefully, uh, to, to Edinburgh. But it's not just that that's a journey, because our lives are journeys. We set out from somewhere. We begin our journey when we are born into this world. And we spend some time in this world And nobody knows how long we're going to be in this world. It's a very uncertain world. We don't know when we're going to have to leave it, but we will have to leave it. We leave this world by and by. And we go somewhere. And the place we go to is to a great throne. And we are told in the Bible, we're just going to read about it, that it's a great white throne. 
And there's somebody on that throne. And the somebody that's on that throne is Jesus. For the last several Sundays, for the last several Lord's Days, we've been exploring something about his birth 2,022 years ago in uh, Bethlehem. Jesus is still around. He died, but he came alive again. And he sits on the throne of heaven. And you and I are going to meet him. And it is very, very, very important for us to be ready for our meeting with Jesus. And you know, as you travel to to Perth, or, or travel anywhere for that matter... You will see big signs at the side of the road and it will tell you how many more miles you've got to go. In fact, even if you go from Keswick to Manlochy, you will see signs at the side of the road that will tell you how much further you've got to go. And these signs tell you where you are on your journey. Well, here we are. We've left 2022. That year's gone. And we've taken another big step towards the end of our journey. But the great question is this, where will the journey end for you and I? It is true that we are all going to this great white throne, that people go from the great white throne to two destinations. And one is the glories of heaven, and the other is the lostness of hell. And as we pass this milestone on life's journey, we've all got to say to ourselves, right, I've begun the journey, I'm I'm travelling on the journey, but where am I heading to? That's the crucial thing. And my hope and prayer is this, that we have come to Jesus and we've said to Jesus, oh Jesus, please wash away all my sins and take me to be with you in heaven forevermore. I hope that's true, not just of the young people here today, but of all of us, that we are all trusting in this Jesus that we are heading to meet. Now let's read God's word as we find it in the book of Revelation, and it's chapter 20, and we're going to read from verse 11. Now one of Jesus' disciples was a man called John, and John got a revelation. God told him things out there in the future that were going to happen. And it involves every one of us. So let's listen to this. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord our God, we pray especially for people who have come here this day with heavy hearts because of troubles in their lives. 
Everywhere we look, there seems to be stresses and strains and difficulties. But we pray that our every difficulty will have us turn heavenwards and groan to our eternal Father. We pray that the end effect of the difficulties we face in life's journey would indeed be to have us hiding further under the shadow of the wing of Jesus of Nazareth. We pray, O Lord, that you would be with us, one and all, as we set out in this year. We pray that you'd be with us, that you would guide us, and you would keep us, and you would protect us. And perhaps there are some among us who will not see the end of this year, but we pray that we would remember that if we are in Christ, then all will be well. And so as we explore this area of Scripture, we pray that you would help us in all our need. We have nothing to woo you with, nothing. We've got everything to cause you to turn away in disgust. But you are who you are. You've revealed yourself to us and you've come to us with astonishing promises. And it's these promises we come before you pleading this day that you would come in with us and that you would indeed do us good. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again. This time it's in Psalm 139a in Sing Psalms. Psalm 139a, and that's found, it's verse 13, that's found on page 181 of the Psalter. For you, O Lord, created me, you wove me on your loom, my inmost being you have formed within my mother's womb. Because I'm wonderfully made with all your praise I tell, your workmanship is marvellous and this I know full well. We'll sing verses 13 to 16. For you, O Lord, created me. for a few moments to the passage we've read in um, Revelation chapter uh, 20 and we'll read again at verse 12 
And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore this area of Scripture. The throne that has been spoken of here is the throne of God. How do we know that? Because in verse 7 it says this. This is what he says from the throne. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. But when we speak of God being on the throne, I think it is fair to speak about Jesus being on the throne. I know there's a great mystery involved in this, but Jesus is God. And if I can turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, and at verse uh, 31, this is what we read. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And of course, the Son of Man is another of the names that Jesus has. He's a man, but he's also the Son of God. He's divine as well as human. And then if we go to John's Gospel, and at chapter 5, and at verse 22, Listen to this. The Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son. And that's why I'm saying that this is the throne of God, but this is the throne also of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's just set it in context for a moment or two. John was the disciple that Jesus was closest to in this world. And we might be making a mistake in thinking, well, if he's the one that's closest to Jesus and the bond there is the deepest of all, then I think maybe things are going to go for him quite well in life's journey. That is a fundamental error we make. And we do make that error. Because sometimes when life gets very difficult, we think... Why on earth is it like this? Because I'm a believer. I've fled to Jesus and yet it is just so hard going. Is there something wrong? Well, John was the closest to Christ. But it did not mean that he was not going to be imprisoned for his faith. And here he was on the Aegean Sea in the Isle of Patmos. And he's in a horrible, dark, desolate place. And uh, all kinds of thoughts will be running through his head. But you know what? It was the Lord's Day. And he was using the Lord's Day for what the Lord's Day was meant to be used for. It's the day when we set aside the routines of everyday work, except for works of necessity and mercy, and we come together to worship God together as God has commanded us. But it's not just this public worship that God sees fit that we need. It's also private worship it's what we do with the rest of the the day now of course there will be interaction with family and maybe friends for the rest of the day but hopefully there will be interaction with God meditation upon God and his ways meditation upon his word and uh, dialogue speaking to him and listening to what he's got to say uh, in return using the day for what it's meant for and you know what if we don't use it in the way that it's meant to be used then we are going to be in, in trouble if we don't use the means of grace God has given to us then if we're all over the place and really struggling let's not be surprised at that but here was John, and he's, in, he's, a, he's a believer, he's committed to Christ, and um, he's enduring hard things. 
But he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. In other words, he was using the Lord's day in a correct kind of way. And God hugely blessed him. And what God blessed him by doing was giving him an insight into something that would be out there in the mists of time. That involved every last person here today. And in fact, involves everybody the world over. Because in this insight that God gives to him, he not only sees this great white throne, and I want to say something about the great white throne, and then I want to say something about the different books that are going to be in use on that occasion. But um, he saw the dead small and great and you know we live in a very uncertain world it is so uncertain this world you just don't know what's round the corner but we do know this we are all going to die sooner or later we are going to die and some people would have us believe that death is the end it's they believe in annihilation. It's like you go to that switch over there and you push it and all these lights go out and the light ceases to exist. But I think that we innately know that that's not the way it's going to be. And even although we have the innate knowledge, what we do with that knowledge, that's a different question because there are many people, in fact all people know, all people know that death is not the end. But in order to get away from this God who has given us this knowledge, some people convince themselves it is the end. And part of their way of dealing with it is to convince themselves that this God that they innately know about doesn't exist at all. That's a coping mechanism for them. They are people in denial. They are people on the run from God. And we've all done it. We've all been on the run from God. But you know when you come to this book of revelation that God has given to us. And you listen to what he's got to say. Not only about himself but ourselves. And what he's got to say about sinners. And how they can be gloriously saved on the basis of a free gift. When that dawns upon an individual. It's just like a balm to the soul. But we are all going to die. Sooner or later. Small and I saw the dead. Small and great. And they're standing before the throne. And it's interesting what's said about this throne. I'm going to come on to the... It's a white throne and the significance of that. But from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Now the trouble with the, the book of Revelation is that there are so many metaphors and symbols in it. Is this literal, this area here? I'm not 100% sure, but if it is, it means this. That the heavens and the earth disappear. Now what does this all mean? Well you know we go to the very beginning of the Bible and we read this. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But he didn't create them as they are now. He creates a vast mass of stuff, of matter, of atoms. Call it what you will. And then he works on it and he molds it and he fashions it and he shapes it so that you have not just the planet Earth but you have the universe as it is just now. But the significant thing is this. That this eternal God gives a command and into being ex nihilo out of absolutely nothing he creates stuff. And then he molds it and he fashions it and he commands it. He is in control of it all. The tides that come in ebb and flow day in and day out. We call it natural law but there's not such a thing as absolute natural law. It's God's law. It's God's doing. 
He's, he not only has created, but he's been overseeing it. He, it's his great work of providence that's been there ever since, since the uh, beginning. And it may well be that this passage of scripture is saying that the majesty of this throne is such that the stuff that the universe has been made from, it just goes. Now we know that in the days of Noah, the world was in huge rebellion against God. We read in Genesis that the thoughts of the imagination of the heart of man was only evil continually. That is a pretty gloomy picture. But Noah is a preacher of righteousness sent to the world with a message of salvation and he did it for decade after decade after decade. And he doesn't seem to have seen much reward for his efforts. But one of the things about the world of Noah's day is this, that this eternal God gets to the stage where he says, okay, enough is enough. And the whole of the human race, minus eight souls, is wiped out. And you think, what's going on? Well, what's going on is exactly what you should, uh, and we should expect uh, to think of what's going on. Because yes, he is a God of love. And yes, he does make provision for people if they will only listen to him. But ultimately, he is also a God of justice. And his justice is an operation in the days of Noah. But after the days of Noah, when Noah came out of that ark, And you know you have the chorus that many children learn. The, the rain came down in torrents, splish, splash, splish, splash. And I always feel uncomfortable with that chorus because there's an element of truth in it. But um, what a devastating scene for Noah and the seven others. The stench of Rotten and decaying animals and human flesh must have been formidable. I remember, I remember seeing television pictures of the Indian Ocean tsunami. I can't even remember which year it was. But uh, 250,000 souls lost their lives in that. But I remember watching these people on these islands trying to deal with the utter devastation. And I just thought, it must have been something like that in the days of Noah as well. It must have been something like that. And yet, in the midst of it all, Noah worshipped God. It tells us something about the measure of the man. But God give a promise the world will not be dealt with in this kind of way ever again. What I mean by that is destroyed by water. And he gave his rainbow as a sign of the covenant. I'm not going to do that. Now that's not the same as saying God's never going to do that again. Because he's made it very, very clear to us in scripture that he is going to do this again. Not by water, but by fire. But we read in scripture of a new heaven and a new earth and there are those who believe that the basic elements for the old world are going to be the building blocks that God will use for the new heavens and the new earth. That may be true, that may not be true. He may use an absolutely new material base. But you know, certainly as far as we ourselves are concerned, you go to Corinthians and it talks about our bodies dying, but believers having new bodies, they're called spiritual bodies, and they're very different from the bodies we have now, but they're still connected. They're still connected. Paul uses the idea of a seed going into the ground. I think at harvest time I used the illustration of a potato, you know. You take a potato and you put it into the ground. 
That potato da dies. You know, if you, if you lift a shawl of potatoes and you've got your 12, 15 new potatoes, you've got your rotten potato in the middle. That rotten one has produced the 15 new potatoes. And so it's, it's died, yes, but it's, it's ongoing in the new potatoes. There's this continuation, and, and that's the way it is with our bodies as well. That's why when people die, their bodies are still very, very important and should be treated um, with, uh, with reverence. But at any rate, this throne is so awesome that heaven and earth flee away. This throne that is a great white throne. And let's not lose out on the significance of the white because white in scripture is symbolic of purity. And it means this, that the Jesus who is on this throne knows everything and is not going to get the judgments he makes wrong in any way whatsoever. The song we've been singing today is this, O Lord, and, and the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. O Lord, thou hast me searched and known. Thou knowest my sitting down and rising up, yea, all my thoughts far to thee are known. No wonder the psalmist says such knowledge is too high for me, too high to understand. But we believe it because he has manifested it to us by dint of us being his creations and he has made it even more clear to us by dint of what he says to us in the word of God in the Bible that is, uh, that is before us. So here it is. You and I today have set out in the year 2023 and 2022 has gone. It's part of our history. We are passing a a milestone on a journey. But here's the question that only you can answer. And I, can, I have to answer for myself. A milestone on what journey? Yes, it's a journey to this great white throne. But you can put it another way. It's a journey, it's another step on our way to the glories of heaven. And if it's not that, it's another step on the journey to the lostness of hell and you know we live with busy lives we live in a day and age that is highly pressured we live with so many demands on our time and our attention but you know what we've got to stop and we've got to take stock you know when you you know when I'm on the journey from well more so when it's Perth to Inverness and I find it a very tedious journey very often but when I see the lights of the Keswick Bridge I kind of breathe a sigh of relief and think well I'm almost home now and then I see a sign and it says Wick or is it Thurso it's another hundred and odd miles and I think oh I am so glad I don't live another hundred miles away I'm glad that my journey is, uh, is coming uh, to an end but on the way up I'm looking at the various signs and I'm thinking well we've got 60 miles to go we've got 38 miles to go and so on we're alert to these things well here we are we're into 2023 on this journey but where is the journey taking us to and if you today are thinking, well, I fear about where the journey is taking me to, then remember this, you can turn around. And the way you can turn around is this. You see, the wages of sin is death. That's what we get for sin. 
But we get eternal death for sin ultimately if that's the way things stay. And that means this, that if we are to avoid eternal death, we've got to get rid of our sins. And this is where we make the catastrophic mistake so often. We try to get rid of our own sins. We cannot. We cannot. But we don't have to. This whole story about the Christmas event, this whole story about God breaking in, this whole story of Emmanuel is about God dealing with the problem. And we've got to stop and we've got to listen to God and we've got to take on board what God has been doing. Because on this day that we appear before this great white throne... The one on the throne is the omniscient God. He's not going to get his decision wrong in any kind of way because he knows you better than you know yourself and he knows me better than I know myself. And it is very troubling to think that I know that he knows everything absolutely everything that's when you want to flee but we mustn't flee we must listen to what he has to say about dealing with our plight and in terms of dealing with our plight you know what here is what we call the law of God now sometimes when we think of the law of God we think of the Ten Commandments and it's astonishing the influence that the Ten Commandments have had in societies across the globe but this is God's Ten Commandments these are God's Ten Commandments but it's just a summary of God's revelation to us it's just a summary of God's law he fleshes it out with all the rest of what's in the Bible from Genesis a to revelation. When we talk of the word sin, the idea behind the word sin is a it's a term that comes from archery. And sin is when you aim for a mark but you miss it. And the question is this What's the mark? Well, we've got to explore the Word of God to find out of what the mark is that God wants us to be hitting. It's in this book. He reveals it to us. This is the book of Revelation regarding all of His law. And on the great an awesome day when we appear before the great white throne this book will play its part because he will be asking us what have you done with all this revelation what have you done with all this truth what have you done with all this that I have given to you that will be part of the great equation but it's not just that the Bible's going to be there. We read here of the book of works. And the book of works, it would seem, contains everything we've ever done in this world, everything we've ever said in this world, and even everything that we have ever thought in this world. And if we stop and ponder that, then that ought to make us tremble because you know we are so relieved that nobody else in this world really knows us nobody nobody at all and if the truth be told we don't even know ourselves we are so often surprising ourselves but you cannot say any of these things about God because he knows us through and through at every level at the doing level at the saying level and at the thinking level it's all there 
And this is a formidable thing about this great white throne that we appear before. Nothing is missed out. I don't know how it all works out. I don't understand it all. But you know, just because we are at the stage where we don't fully understand something about something, that's not unusual. Because the whole of life is filled with things that we don't fully understand. There's nothing unusual about that. But the reality is that God has a record of absolutely and utterly everything about us. And that will be taken into account. Whether our works are good or whether they are evil. But there's another book that's mentioned here. And it's the Lamb's Book. And it's interestingly called the Book of Life. The Lamb's Book of Life. And let's remember this. that The Lamb is another name for Jesus himself. Do you remember what John the Baptist said when Jesus appears? Behold the Lamb of God. But that's not at all. He was very specific. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That is the enormous beauty of Christ. And I think there are several lambs that Christ is. You know, many of the Old Testament sacrifices were lambs. And every one of these sacrifices pointed to Christ in some kind of way. But there was another lamb specifically that was Christ. That was the Passover lamb. Do you remember what happened with the Passover lamb? They killed the lamb. They put some blood on the doorposts and on the lintels. And when God's angel of death came along, the angel of death looked at that home and said, they've been obedient to God and the angel passed over. In other words, the blood of the lamb, the life of the lamb was forfeited so that death didn't come to that home. That's exactly the way it is with Jesus because he is called the Passover. That's another of his names in the New Testament. If we want eternal death to pass us over, then we can have it that way. And for the person that feels overwhelmed by this proposition that we have to appear before this throne before a God who knows us inside out and everything by the person that is just absolutely devastated because of their own sinful lives don't devastate it I'm not trying to take away from the Ugliness and the enormity of sin. I'm not trying to do that for one moment. But what I am saying is this. The Passover lamb can enable you. To have a sin free eternity. And me. That is the beauty. And that is the glory. Of the gospel. And so, as we wrap this up, the day is coming when we are all going to stand before this great white throne. And some are going to argue with Jesus on that day and say, do you know what, you've got it wrong. And some are going to say, I belong to this church. And others are going to say, I belong to that church. And some are going to say, I read my Bible every living day. And some are going to say, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And some are going to say, I preached and I preached in your name. And some are even going to say, I perform miracle in your name. And Jesus is going to say, no you didn't. Depart from me. But there are others who have lived hugely godless lives, who were enormous sinners, but they fled to the Lamb. And on the day when the book of their works is there before them, it will be a formidable history. 
But it will be a history that has been dealt with by the blood of the Lamb. And this Christ is going to say, Come, ye blessed. Inherit. And there you have it. We're all on a journey. And we've all passed a milestone. But which destiny have we traveled past this milestone on I hope that we're listening to God I hope we're honest enough with ourselves to be able to say my life is ugly and murky and sinful but there is the great Passover lamb there is Jesus of Nazareth Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. May that be true of each and every one of us. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we pray that this day we would bow afresh before you and thank you for who you are and what you have done. Help us to use this day in a God-honoring way. We ask you to be with Chisholm as he comes to us, if he's spared this evening, to preach to us. Bless him and all his loved ones. Guide us and keep us. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise in the same song, Psalm 139, A at verse 17. O God, how precious are your thoughts. I scan them from afar. And as I seek to grasp them all, how numberless they are. We'll sing verses 17 to 24. O God, how precious are your thoughts.
Now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one, both now and forevermore.